the golden stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R radio star, the best in the world, baby, is here for you. <laughs> uh the podcast champion i love that one in fact people people are going nuts over my belt whenever i'm walking around with my belt they just they you know i have that big well i'd show it on camera i think i showed it on the last q a hangout but um it's actually it's over in the gym uh which i'll be hitting here in a in a little bit so it is time for your patreon only full video the whole thing q a live hangout um and yes we're still at the point even though patreon has like they've added in like the Snapchat feature into the app. I almost used it when I went to go see Black Panther. Um, what was that? Not this week, but last week. I almost used it for that when I was walking in and everything. Uh, but two things stopped me from doing it. One, I didn't know how the hell it would work. And, and like it deletes it after 24 hours anyway, or like 48 hours uh, where you could do video or photo or something. And the other is you know, like I have, I don't have unlimited data on my phone, which I consider to be a feature, not a bug, uh, <laughs> more or less. Uh, and so I, I didn't, uh, you know, I just didn't bother. Like I figure streaming video would, would be a problem. Uh, but anyway, um, we're still using Google Hangouts. The day will come where that won't be so, but for now it's here, it's what gets used and, um, I'll be using it for doing other things, uh, with the show. Uh, of course there will be, and I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to release the video of it, but we do have the Star Wars update that will be coming out uh, this week that I will be doing with uh, my co-host Robin, which is going to be a great time. He's, he's phenomenal. And uh, that, I mean, we're going to be using Hangouts to record that actually, so we could release the video, but I don't know that, we're, that I'm necessarily going to do that. Anyway, it's Sunday night, baby, so you know, let's have a good time. Of course, uh, WWE is, has, is having their Elimination Chamber pay-per-view tonight. I don't know if I'm going to be watching that. Uh, there's no, no more Star Trek Discovery, but uh, woo, give you a little Star Trek Discovery flyby there. Oh, yeah, if only if you're watching video do you see the Discovery go by, and that is an official Eagle Moss model of the Discovery, which was kind of shocked that, that uh, I got that. That came in last week. Um, I had it pre-ordered for a few months, and and there it was. So anyway, feel free to ask questions in the YouTube chat if you want, um, or of course, uh, sometimes people get in on the um, get in on the hangout itself, which you are welcome to do, and you can do either audio or video. Um, I did get some preloaded questions from people that they wanted me to talk about, and I'm certainly open to going into those. I haven't looked at all of them, so I would be reading some of them to you live. Uh, that's for sure. But we can start doing that. Uh, before anybody wants to ask questions within that, like I said, within the, you can ask questions within the YouTube chat or you can join the hangout and the links for all that are of course available in the, um, in the post on Patreon to be able to, uh, to, to come in. So, okay, well, let's look at some of the questions that we've got here. Oh, you know, real quick. Okay. I want to make an, an, an addendum to something I was talking about in episode 266 of Sovereign Tech. Uh, there was, it was during during wildcard when I was talking about social media. I think I mentioned I said Venmo. I meant Vero, V-E-R-O, and not the really cool character from the uh, Spartacus Blood and Sand television show. Uh, one of the greatest shows ever. But it's called Vero. And this is supposedly like the new hotness. Like on Instagram, you see everybody saying, hey, follow me on Vero, blah, blah, blah. And uh, no, look more social media is not the solution. Okay. <laughs> like, and I'll, and honestly, in a very real sense, alternatives are not the solution. Like, like, you know, the problem is the, you know, is social media itself. Like, like the very notion I think of social media is itself a problem. It's not, 
you know, having a cleaner one or one that isn't so algorithmic, apparently Vero doesn't have so many algorithms and it gives you a lot more control and all this stuff that th- that's not the issue. The issue is, is the very medium itself is prob is, is in my opinion, very problematic. I know people don't like to hear the word problematic, but there you go. So anyway, just wanted to put some clarity on that. And also I see no reason why Vero is in any way superior to uh, uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of that shit. I just, I have no idea. Uh, let's see. Did you, Oh boy, we already got questions coming in. All right. We'll hit one of these and let's see. Did you, uh, sympathize with T'Challa's perspective or Killmonger's perspective? Oh, and black Panther. Okay. Right. Which we already mentioned. So good. That fits in. Um, yeah, so spoiler alerts, folks, uh, which, again, though, if you actually read comic books, I don't think this is something that can be spoiled. It's like Infinity War. What, you think Thanos is going to win? Like, how can you spoil that film? It's like going to see Titanic. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the word problematic can be problematic. Exactly. Uh, anyway, OK, so with T'Challa's perspective or Killmonger's perspective, um, I would definitely be I'd, I'd probably be in the isolationist camp. Um, so I guess I wouldn't be in Killmonger's perspective where Killmonger wanted to like, you know, empower and get out all the weapons to everybody. I mean, first off, I wouldn't be starting a war. Um, so I, I guess that automatic, like by default, that puts me more in T'Challa's perspective. Um, I think like it's, like I said, Black Panther, the character itself isn't always the most interesting thing in comic book history, even though I like I've regularly read Black Panther's comics. I mean, you know, and he's had multiple volumes which is a good and a bad thing. Sometimes you make, you know, there's a new volume. I mean, there's, okay, right. So there's a difference between volumes and issues. For those that don't, don't read comic books, you have issues, which is what comes out every month. You have volumes, which is uh, the, the numeration for, say, a series. Like, you know, Fantastic Four has had over, over 50, 60 years, has had five or six volumes where the, the, ti- the title has either ended or rebooted or something like that. Like you end up with a new number one, that becomes another volume. Okay. Black Panther has had like four volumes, you know, over his time. But that also understand that that means there's been points where there was not a Black Panther comic. It wasn't just a reboot. Like literally you would go years without a Black Panther comic. You know, I think my video just cut out. Why is Hangouts has been doing that? Uh, I've noticed that throughout the day that I'd come in and check on the studio and suddenly the video would go away. Anyway, I brought it back. I'll keep an eye out for that. So Black Panther, like Iron Man, you know, it's so funny. These characters were nothing i mean like they 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 were literally nothing like like, they nobody cared about them nobody i mean generally a comic book having multiple volumes is usually a bad thing because even if even if it's not for the reason that they canceled the title that they canceled the comic book if they had to go back if they had to do a number one again you you only you only reboot a comic book or you know go renumerate like go back to having an issue number one and all that is if your sales suck like if your sales are solid, you know, there's a reason that action comics is almost up to or is up to like issue 1000. There's a reason detective comics is up to almost up to issue 1000 and all that, even though there have been attempts at renumbering with those. But part of the reason is because there's been no, you know, they're, they're solid sellers. There's no reason to fucking reboot the comic. You don't need a volume two. You don't need, you know, uh, an issue number one again. You, you just don't. In fact, the only reason those ever got renumerated was because they did new, you know, DC did new 52. Granted, we're talking about Marvel with Black Panther. But I just I find it so goddamn funny that people are so gaga and I've talked about this many times but that people are just so nuts about Black Panther. And look, the movie like I get it. I really understand the cultural importance of that film. And I'm all for as a science fiction fan alone to have Afrofuturism get put 
with a big budget on the big screen. I am so on board with that. You have no idea how, how much that excites me. Okay. But, but I'm just saying, let's face it. This character meant nothing to almost nobody for the multitude of decades that he's been around, you know, unless other than like, like I was uh, saying when, before I got on this tirade is that I love the idea of Wakanda. I think that that's so cool. You know, that there's just like this little secretive, highly advanced, um, uh, country we'll say, uh, that, you know, you just, you don't expect, you don't see coming. And, and I, and honestly, I even like that it's in Africa. Like I, I think all of that is really cool. Like, so I love that Afrofuturism. I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, let's see what else we got in the YouTube chat. Um, Nakia wanted to open up Wakanda and share their tech without all the war and empire building. Her position was the best. Yeah. So that's, um, that's T'Challa's sister, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, I can get that too, but you know, at, at the same time, like in a dream world scenario, or if I was writing black Panther, um, I, like I would totally, I'd totally stick with like an isolationist view. I, I really would, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because the world's not ready for that shit. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think that that's such a cool angle to like, really like a, a far better story to explore. Um, I mean, a lot of critics have come out and even said that it felt like a lot of the storyline with Killmonger was very forced in, in what, in what was, you know, being presented there. And I, and I kind of agree with that. I think you don't even need Killmonger's position position really to, to explore this idea of should we be isolationist or should we be sharing with the rest of the world? I think there's a lot of intrigue that can happen with that without having some kind of, you know, political battle uh, of any kind. So uh, let's see, what other questions do we have here? Have you seen the documentary about Andy Whitfield? Be here now. No, Um, but I will add that to the list and I will check that out. In fact, same person that just asked that question. They asked me if I've seen the expanse. Um, Yes, uh, I, Stephanie and I, we actually, we love The Expanse, and I know season three is coming April 11th. Somebody just said, wow. <laughs> I'm guessing that's in response maybe to my more isolationist view. Uh, feel free to elaborate if, you know, I mean, that that's fine. At the same time, I don't mind, like, you know, the idea of sharing technology and stuff like that. Um, I'll talk about The Expanse more in a second. And we can talk about anything, folks. We can talk about geeky shit. We can talk about tech. We can talk about science, relationships, whatever. I don't care. Uh, ask any kind of questions you want as far as this goes. Um, let's see. Yeah, where, where was I? Oh, the yeah. Okay. So the isolationist views. Um, like like I said, I'm 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 all about you know like like sharing technology and everything. Um, but I mean, it's one thing to like share with say you know in within the paradigm of a fictional universe and the black Panther storyline. Okay. Not necessarily real life. Um, the idea of sharing, like even just the weapons technology that Wakanda has with the U S government should to anybody be seen as a terrifying concept, you know, not, not that, I mean, like, and that's even, that's more of the, uh, that would be Nakia's like position. Right. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of weird because you're always going to be I don't know. You're always in some ways, I think you're always going to be sort of responsible for that kind of technology that you put out there. You know, it's not like, I mean, if we're talking about encryption technology, Oh hell, unleash it on the world. I don't care. You know, (laughs) like, like give it to everybody. You got the best encryption in the world, open source that shit and let everybody use it. You know, that's fine. But when we're talking about weapons and and a lot of other stuff, Ooh, I don't, I don't know. And, and, and there goes the video again. Jeez. Uh, anyway, and, and with, with Killmonger's position, I mean, he was, look, he was really looking for people to die and that's a position I can't agree with, you know, like just, just on that, on that stance. Now, if he was, if Killmonger's position was, okay, we're going to give everybody shield tech where, you know, we're going to give our people 
um, you know, whatever that abstract notion is. We're going to give our people shield technology. Great. I am on board with that. But again, if we're talking about weapons, mm, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I'm, I'm not feeling that at all. So hopefully that explains a little bit more about what I said. Um, okay, so The Expanse. Uh, yeah, just probably the best show on television right now. Uh, and I will even say it's better than Star Trek Discovery. Um, interestingly enough, one of the preset questions that I got uh, was about Babylon 5. So maybe this will be a nice uh, segue into that. But anyway, The Expanse, uh, just just amazing what, what they're putting on there. It's good, hard science fiction, meaning that like it's well, I know what happens in the expanse. Like I'm aware of what occurs in the novels and everything. Um, but for what we've got right now, let me just put it this way, like hard science fiction, meaning that it's sticking within the solar system. The technology is believable. What happens is all very believable and it doesn't require some kind of a guffin or something like that, or, you know, some kind of like wild technology to, to sort of come out of nowhere. Um, that's what I really, really enjoy about the expanse and the, I mean, the act, you know, the production level, all that is, is fantastic. And it's about goddamn time that, that the sci-fi channel or SIFI, uh, you know, delivered on this sort of thing. They should have been doing this a long time ago. I mean, and not that they've had bad shows first wave Farscape, um, Lex even, you know, I mean, especially first wave, first wave tops my, that's in my top 20 as far as television shows. And as far as inspirational, like shows that have inspired me, uh, it's easily, easily in my top 10. Um, first wave is a tremendous, tremendous show. So yeah, the expanse, I love it. Uh, definitely recommend it to anybody that wants to watch that. Um, but, uh, okay, let me look at the uh, YouTube chat here. We got some other questions. So, uh, let's see. I think Killmonger was out for Killmonger, not helping other black people outside of Wakanda. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of truth to that. He was really wanting to be pretty tyrannical. Um, Let's see. Got another one. Uh, share the medical tech too. Don't hoard that shit. Yes, definitely. Of course. Yeah. Medical tech is, I'd put that in the same vein as like, you know, uh, defensive, like genuine defensive technologies as in technologies that can't be used for offense, like a shield, uh, you know, like, like a, like a bubble shield, you know, force shield of some kind. Um, yeah, definitely get that, that medical tech out there. Um, let's see another question. I'm worried that sci-fi will, or SIFI will do something stupid and pull the show. Yeah. You know, they might pull the expanse. Like, I, I think it was actually pretty, I was, it was up in the air if we were going to get a season three with the expanse. Um, and I think the only reason that they're not pulling it, I don't think they're getting ROI, not real ROI. They're not getting real return on investment in such an expensive show as the expanse. I think they right now. And in fact, you can listen to like, you know, kind of the, the executives at, um, at SIFI. I'll call it SIFI. I, I, I want to call it the sci-fi channel so bad, but that's part of the problem is this really not the sci-fi channel anymore. And this isn't anything new. People have known this for years now, pretty much ever since. And I'm, and I'm a wrestling fan pretty much as, as soon as they started putting wrestling on there, we knew the jig was up, you know, like this is over. This, this has nothing to do, um, you know, with, with, with science fiction. Uh, let's see. They did that with defiance. Yep. Yeah. That was another one that they pulled, but like the expanse, this is in Hollywood. This is what you would call a prestige show or in, in Hollywood, in movie business, it'd be a prestige movie, meaning that, you know, you're going to lose money on it, but it does really well with the critics. And that's what I think the sci-fi channel knows they need to, or what Siffy knows they need to do with the expanse. They have to have this kind of show on their network, or they are going to lose all of their viewers. And the executives, what I was about to say was the executives there, they know that they lost science fiction fans. 
and that they just ended up looking like any other channel. I mean, Siffy ended up becoming, you know, no different than FX or I don't know, pick your cable network. Like it's just like any of the, any, there, there was nothing special or defining about it anymore. And they know that. And that's why they made childhood's end, which that was a little rough to, to put it nicely. Um, and why they're making some, you know, some other uh, uh, shows and everything. And now they have, they have real competition with the fact that Amazon prime will, will just smoke them. You know, they'll just blow them out of the water as far as like the, the quality and um, you know, not, not just production quality, but story quality and everything that's going on as far as science fiction, Netflix will kill them. I mean, they have to have a show like The Expanse. They really can't let go of it, even if they lose all the money in the world on that show. Okay, because if they don't have it, they're going to lose everything anyway. So they might as well, you know, like just roll the dice. Um, You know, it's it's like that prize horse that you just keep running, because even if the horse loses, you've got to have that for your reputation. You've got to have that prize horse in your stable. That way people know, you know, that you're out there. So I think that that's really the score um, with with The Expanse. That's why. I, it, since we got season three, I don't think we're, I don't think the show is going to get canceled. They're, they're going to keep running this uh, for, for a while. So, okay, let's, uh, what else do we have here? Uh, you believe that Hollywood will die like Silicon Valley? Yeah, I think it's already happening. Um, I think Hollywood is in really, I, I love, by the way, I love these questions. I love talking the geeky shit. And I know it's one of the things that really hooks people into sovereign tech. So I don't mind talking about all of this at all. Um, Let's see. Someone responded. I don't think Hollywood will die as long as we have these oppressive IP laws. Yeah. So, but I, I understand that. And I think like, it'll always kind of be there, but as far as it being the mainstream form of um, the mainstream form of entertainment out there, I really, I, I think that there's so many ways you can get around IP laws right now. And, you know, when you look at like the Star Trek X in our case, they, you know, like they're afraid. They're really afraid because they knew that something like Axonar would be, would potentially even be better than Discovery. And I'm totally open to the fact what I know of of Star Trek Axonar, which was a prequel to the original series, it would have been better than than Discovery. Quite frankly, as good as Discovery is, I I like Discovery. I've talked about this on, on Star Trek updates. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think there's ways around it. And in fact, a really great experiment. I, I am. This is something I'm really experimenting with. And this is the reason I'm doing the uh, the franchise based erotic audio theater this year. And again, Star Trek is the one that that's going to that's the one that everybody wants wants done or not everybody that the most people that I gave the decision to wanted to do. Um, yeah, Axanar is not. Yeah, someone just asked Axanar is not happening. Yeah, Axanar is like. Not, not at least the way that it was intended. It's not going to be happening. Um, it's, it's, it's a really ugly situation, and it's such a shame. Uh, especially, you know, I mean, like when you look at Star Trek Continues, Star Trek Continues, it, that's way better than Discovery. Like that's crazy how good Star Trek Continues was, right? And it's such a shame. But anyway, my point. So, uh, doing the Star Trek Erotic Audio Theater, um, I want to see what happens when that comes out. Because I know what level of production I can bring. I know what I can do. I know how talented the people I have involved are. Uh, in fact, I, I got an email um, from, from a patron who he said is his, uh, you know, his housemate, that she's this professional Shakespearean actor and that she'd be very intrigued in, in being a part of the erotic audio theater. And which is great, you know, <laughs> like, fuck yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, like people get it. They want to be on board with this stuff. And, and that's why I think Hollywood really can die, or at least it won't be the premier form of entertainment going into the future, because 
now anybody can do this shit. You know, like there's no, there's, there's nothing holding everybody back and you can just do the most amazing stuff. And I think that there's ways you can worm around the IP laws or really just because of the internet itself. I mean, I understand that perspective that the person brought up. I really do. I, I don't think that's an unfair point to bring up. And, and it's proof that yes, Hollywood will kind of always be around because there's always going to be certain content that the only they can put out there. But again, it doesn't mean that they will be the premier uh, point of, of, uh, of entertainment, I think. Um, but like what, you know, once you put something up on the internet, it doesn't matter if it gets taken down, it's there forever. Like there's always going to be a way to find it. And, and you're always going to be able to repopulate it somewhere and everything. And, and I, I think that that's, that's so exciting, um, that we're in that world where we can, to some degree, ignore the IP laws to some degree, but your point is still sound that Hollywood will be around as, as long as there IP, as long as there is IP. Yeah. It'll always kind of be around just like Silicon Valley. Sure. The exciting shit is hap is not happening in Silicon Valley. Right. As far as tech goes, uh, but the tech giants are going to be around for a while, you know, I mean like that, that's true, but, but both, but for effectively, I think both of those, uh, geographic cultural areas are, are on their way out, if not already, already out. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's see. It's ironic that Hollywood is pro IP, but came into existence defying IP laws of its time. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a great point. There there's, um, I don't think it was called Hollywood empire. I'm trying to remember that there's a documentary that talks about like the early history of Hollywood. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, honestly, like I'll just call it, I have no problem saying this. It's a bunch of Jews that brought water to the desert and they ignored everything and everyone. And they scared the shit out of the government. I mean, the government's what whipped them into respecting IP and respecting laws and all that. But otherwise Hollywood was, was a phenomenal rebellion, not just, not just a rebellion against laws, but a rebellion against, um, a rebellion against culture, you know, like they, they were really trying to create, you know, a very much a new reality, you know, in, in a very, in a very real sense, um, Hollywood was trying to do that. It's, it's such a pity that, that it's become such a whip that so much of it has become a whipping boy for, you know, whatever cultural, uh, government, even military industrial complex, you know, pick your term corporatist, uh, uh, uh you know, desires and 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 whims and whatever that they have out there you know to to push that to to be a propaganda machine it's such a shame that it's become that because there was a time where it was not um but anyway so yeah it's uh let's see another from the youtube chat here yeah the exciting tech stuff is happening in florida with magic leap slash sarcasm <laughs> yeah magic leap <laughs> yeah that's the joke i uh, love it uh yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, the, I mean, in, in all like, that's a great, that I, that's very funny, but like at the same time, um, you know, all the, we know this statistically that the best programmers in the, in the world are in Switzerland and New Zealand. They're not, they're not even in the U S uh, anymore. So, you know, I mean, take, take that for, you know, they're, they're literally not in Silicon Valley. Um, let's see. Yeah. Reading on. Yeah. But it's promoted pro-war propaganda during its golden age period. Um, yeah, this is, this is, this is true. And you know, certainly that, that was, that was a, a part of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, no argument for me on, on, on that point. So, okay. Um, I mean, one, one could argue that's the part of culture that actually Hollywood and very few media industries has ever tried to rebel against is this idea that, um, you know, you got to have conflict, like physical, violent conflict to create an interesting story. You, there, there's just far too few industries that really, you know, get on that. And I get it because they think it sells and it does appear to sell. But, 
you know, if you're trying to create like a new reality, go all the way, you know, you know, make it, make it happen. Um, I mean, even, you know, even in my stories, there's, you know, usually some kind of like, there might be a fight of some kind or something like that. You know, it's, it's tough to get away from that. It really is. Um, okay. So, uh, while we're talking the geeky shit, let me get to one of the, let's look at the questions here. Um, pull up the page. Okay. Stop taking all the libertarian women. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Whoever the hell wrote that? (laughs) No, I know who wrote that. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Babylon five. So in fact, this kind of plays in because the question is, is that they're shocked that, I consider Babylon five, which I advertise for on my show all the time. Of course, Babylon five was a show from the nineties. So it's not like anybody's making money, any money off of this. I'm not, uh, other than maybe somehow Straczynski is. And if he is good because Babylon five changed my life. Um, but pretty much asking with Babylon five being such a political show, which, yep, that's an accurate, uh, assumption or, or uh, assessment to say it's a very political show. Um, they're shocked that it, that it's my favorite show. There's some other stuff in here and they ask about Battlestar Galactica. I've already talked about why I hate, uh, the, the new Battlestar Galactica many, many times over. So I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that again. Um, but as far as Babylon five, like it's my favorite show, but it's political. Yeah. I mean, it's political and that's a core part of the, speaking of conflict, that's a core part of the conflict within the show within Babylon five, but it's really far more philosophical. It's way more of a show about philosophy, um, and dueling philosophies in a, in a, in a, like really, um, in fact, I, you know, one, one of the main philosophies in the show, because you have really in that show, you have entire races and empires, uh, you know, alien races and empires that represent entire ideologies and represent entire philosophies. Uh, for example, you have the shadows who are actually the villains of the, they're the villains of, of the series and, in. I mean, that's to say in a very real way, isn't, I mean, they just are like, like they are set up as the villains in the show. Of course, you know, you find out that certain heroes within it that are seem to be heroes in the beginning also get set up as, as villains in the end. Um, but one of the, you know, there's, there's kind of two major questions within it where you have the Vorlons where their question is, who are you? And then you have the shadows where the question that they ask anybody that they're trying to, uh, um, sway or, you know, get, get under their, I don't know, get on their side or whatever. Um, they will say, you know, they ask the question, what do you want? And I think that question, ironically, the bad guys, their question is the accurate one. Um, in fact, I was talking, uh, I was having dinner with Ellen uh, the other day and, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, the, the whole concept of what do you want and everything. And she said, yeah, that is the most important question because you really can't even know who you are if you don't answer the question, what do you want? So, but, but that's, that's actually in many ways, the solution that Babylon five comes to with the philosophies is that, is that, you know, you've never, first off, they point fingers at the Vorlons and the shadows saying you've guys, you guys have never even bothered to answer your own questions, but then they say, you know, that more or less it's kind of both like you need to answer both, but I don't think, but what Babylon five doesn't explicitly say, uh, nor even maybe implicitly, um, is that you really, the first question you need to be able to answer in your life to even understand anything else going on around you is what do you want? You've, you've got to be able to, I, I, I bring it up all the time, but it's so important. And it's so funny how many people I talk to just in my own life that don't have the answer to that question. And that's, I mean, it's just, it's fucking key. So anyway, with Babylon five, why is it my favorite TV show? Because it is that it's a philosophical play far more than it is a political play. Um, also, 
I mean, just the presentation of the show blows away anything that was certainly done before and maybe even since um, where it is this five year long set story arc that makes sense, that is cohesive, coherent. It's not necessarily contradictory at all. And you you've got to watch the whole thing like you, you have to watch all however many, you know, it's five seasons, about 22 episodes a season. So, you know, do the math over 100 episodes, you know, do the math on that. And you've got to, you know, you, you have to experience that whole thing. And, and it's just such a beautiful buildup, especially if you in the 90s, you were watching it at the time um, when Babylon 5 first came out. It was one of the first major new science fiction properties. This would have been back in 93, you know, on on regular television, not cable, but just regular television. Um, and that was appealing alone to me, you know, just being like a 12 year old who loved science fiction and had to constantly rewatch these old tapes of Babylon or uh, I'm sorry, of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, the original Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek and whatever else. And like, that's all you had. And so when Babylon five came out, that was really exciting. I mean, there was others, what was star Hunter or space precinct. I mean, I, I, I know there was a bunch of shows out there at the time, but as far as something that like I could even catch on a Sunday, it was there, you know? And so that was, that was inspirational. In fact, I didn't even see like the entirety of the second season until much, much later. I, I knew the first season by heart and I finally got back to watching it when the third season hit and you know, it just, it just hooked you. You know, I mean, like it couldn't. And so when, when you got, when you were watching the show weekly, it really meant a lot more because you were just dying every, every, for every Sunday when that was going to come on and you're going to find out what was happening next in the story, not just getting another cool adventure. You need to find out what was happening next. It was so huge. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the main thing with, with Babylon five. I mean, it, it has a lot of cool factors to it that mo- a lot of science fiction just doesn't have. Um, I do appreciate it is also, it really is hard science fiction where real science is being involved in a lot of things, just the way the star furies fly and all that. Um, I've talked about Babylon five many times, but yeah, that's sure it's political, but it's, it's more, again, like I said, it's more about philosophy and it's more about rebellion. You know, it's way more about being rebellious, uh, which I think is an important message to get out at any point. So uh, let's see. Characters on the Big Bang Theory hate Babylon 5, LOL. Yeah, I hate the Big Bang Theory. So <laughs> I've talked about that on Patreon episodes. I think I think that show is so patronizing. I think that show is like really insulting to, to nerds and all that. That's that's funny. Um, let's see. Another person says tapes. LOL. That sounds so dated. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and babylon 5 was one of those shows i I think i talked about it oh i was reviewing stargate origins i did the stargate origins review show recently um and on there i talked about how like i was really serious about how i was recording every episode of sg1 on vhs and all that babylon 5 when babylon 5 got bought by tnt i did the same thing i had this whole shelf where like i mean because you know again we're talking over 100 episodes and i had like everything all beautifully like categorized recorded but it took up this massive bookshelf just to have all the tapes of of babylon 5 and it's hilarious like i just ended up getting the blu-rays for the original series of star trek and you know you got three seasons there i remember what that looked like on vhs and now it's just like this one little i I mean i could pull it down it's this one little case and you have you know so many hundreds of hours of oh it's just amazing uh let's see when uh were you into philosophy at 12 and 13 uh babylon 5 was a syndicated show right okay so two things yeah uh, i wasn't into philosophy necessarily at 12 and 13 i was definitely into rebelliousness uh but yeah not so much into philosophy but then you didn't know how philosophical the show was until later on like it was very smart babylon 5 did it kind of oh boy how to put this so 
like I said, the, the main draw originally for Babylon five was that there was so little science fiction out there. If you loved science fiction, it's just, it, it was what was available next to star Trek. And so you watched it, you know, um, but then, you know, like, and, and again, it has a lot of different cool factors to it. It has mysteries. They did a great job in setting up a lot of mysteries early on to keep you hooked and to keep you watching. Um, but by the time that we get into the third season, which, you know, I would be more like, like 15, 16, stuff like this. Yeah. I was definitely more into philosophy at that point. I was definitely, you know, like, like at that point I was literally reading Nietzsche and, you know, in some other figures. Um, so yeah, I, I would say later when, when Babylon five got philosophical, it was kind of perfect timing because I was at a point where I was really questioning everything, including religion and a lot of this other stuff. And Babylon five definitely helped out with that. Um, it was a syndicated show. In fact, there was a package called PTEN, Primetime Entertainment Network, I think was the name of it, that would get sold off to whoever would buy it, Fox, whoever, you know, whatever, whatever network would take it. And on Sundays, you'd have two or three hours of shows. Um, there was uh, Super Force, which was a really exciting one. There was a show called Point Man, uh, which I, I thought was a lot of fun. Not a science fiction show, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and Babylon five was one of the shows that was originally part of this, the syndicated package deal called PTEN. Um, and, uh, but I watch, I would watch all those shows, you know, like I, 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 every single one, you know, it'd be right after Superboy and my secret identity and everything. Uh, and it was one of the main ways that you could even get like any kind of science fiction out there. Um, let's see another question. So, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> we're 30 minutes into the show and we're just talking all geeky shit by all means, boys, <laughs> boys and girls, let's do it. Uh, let's see. Do you believe that DS nine is the, is the least appreciated show of all the star Trek series? And then somebody responded, said DS nine was great. Uh, DS nine was great. I don't think it's the least appreciated though. In fact, now it's almost like the Vogue thing where you say that, that DS nine is actually the best star Trek. Like that really seems to be in vogue right now that, uh, you know, that it gets a lot more credit. I think at the time it was far more of a dark horse. Uh, in fact, DS nine and Babylon five have a very, I I've talked about this. Like they, they haven't, they were really competing shows all the way. In fact, I think D space nine was copying. I think somebody found out somebody got their hands. I'm guessing at, at, uh, at CBS slash paramount. Somebody got their hands on the Babylon five writers Bible. I am assuming. And I think they got, they were scared to death and they, they tried to copy Babylon five in every way, except for they weren't going with the serialized storytelling with the, like more of the novelization style storytelling or novel novelized storytelling. They went with, you know, episode by episode because I mean, it, like it's too weird. You know, there's no doubt that Straczynski, you can tell by the dates Straczynski had the idea first, but like, you're creating another show with a space station where the guy who's the head of the space station is some kind of like religious is considered a religious figure by another race on the station. I mean, like they're just way too fucking similar and Babylon five is the better show between those two. I think easily as much as, and look, I love D space nine. Like I love that show all the way, everything about it, even the seventh season. Like I, I think Esri Dax is one of my, Esri Dax is one of my favorite characters. Jadzia was great too, but you know, I loved it even when they brought on Esri. Um, I think I think Voyager gets gets way. I don't people don't give that show enough credit. Uh, I I really really I love Voyager, um, and partly because you know we've been talking about this this whole time, kind of that hard science fiction edge. Uh, I think Voyager really delivers that. Uh, like I, I mean they they 
what was it, like the, the, the Voth or whatever, you know, that dinosaur race that they find that they find out was actually from earth. Like that's what happened to the dinosaurs is it turns out the dinosaurs did have a space program. <laughs> you know, that's like one of the, one of the old, uh, old arguments for, you know, uh, why, why do humans need to have a space program? It's like, well, because what could happen to us or, you know, what happened to the dinosaurs could happen to us and the dinosaurs could have survived if they had a space program. Well, in Voyager, you find out they absolutely did. And, <laughs> and, and like, there's this wildly advanced species in the Delta quadrant. And I like stories like that. I thought were so cool. Seven of nine was such an interesting character. Um, the stuff they were doing with the Borg, Unimatrix zero and all that, like was, was really cool. I think that that show gets a bad rap for completely unjustified reasons i mean we got a captain sulu story in that um it was and and the thing you know i think what might for me might even put it you know puts it above deep space nine because i wouldn't argue that deep space nine is the best star trek show ever it's very good and it's very different and different in a very good way but i think what puts it over is that that voyager was seemed far more self-aware of the the broader star trek franchise meaning it was more aware of the original series, which D space nine seemed to almost completely ignore the original series. And I mean, other than, you know, yes, you would have the Klingons, you know, you, you'd bring on core, right. And, you know, and all that, you'd have that, you know, that whole story arc. Um, but I, I just feel like Voyager paid. I, I mean, Voyager is where star Trek started to become star Trek for star Trek's sake, you know, which some people see as a bad thing. I don't think so. I don't see that as a bad thing. I see it as a good thing. Uh, and maybe that's the main difference for a lot of people. But um, yeah, I, th I think Voyager is just is severely underrated. And I mean, and not that Voyager is perfect. Um, I've said this. Before. In fact, I'll, I'll never get over this. One of the <laughs> this seems so small, but to me, it's one of the greatest moments of my life. So Voyager was celebrating. I forget. It's like 20 years or something like that, whatever recently. And I made a post about it on Instagram and I said, you know, happy 20th or whatever anniversary. And I said, it was like, you know, this is for me, this was, you know, Star Trek, Star Trek. This is hardcore science fiction. Um, I said, but you know what? It's like, you know what it missed? It could have been the greatest porn ever because you got to start having babies. I mean, you know, and, and people should have been stooping right and left on that chip. And Jerry Ryan, the Jerry Ryan, seven to nine herself, liked my post. <laughs> that meant the world to me <laughs> to this i have the screenshot of it i just i i oh the fantasies i have around that you know because i mean i was very explicit in saying this show should have had a whole ton of fucking on there you know and and she was so on board with that and that's where that show dropped the ball is that far more than like enterprise when enterprise first came out it tried to be sexy right um you know, with like the, the decontam room and, you know, rubbing gels on each other and all that, all of which, Hey, great. I think that's awesome. But Voyager is really where they should have gone with the sexy, like much more. And, and you could say, well, you know, wasn't seven of nine alone, you know, like a very sexy, uh, uh, situation, very sexy affair. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I can, I can grasp that, that, that she was definitely put on there for sex appeal. Um, she ended up becoming so much more, but she was definitely on there for sex appeal. Uh, but it wasn't enough, you know, like there should have been, you should have had a lot more sex. So anyway, um, let's see. DS nine was reading from the YouTube chat here. DS nine was the show that introduced me to Avery Brooks. That man is a phenomenal actor. Uh, and then another person says, yeah, Avery Brooks is underrated for, for sure. Yeah. You know who I loved? You know, I actually, I knew Avery Brooks before D space nine, because I was a huge fan. Even as a very young kid, I was a big fan of the show Spencer for hire. Um, and he played Hawk on that. In fact, I think Hawk ended up like with his own kind of, kind of sequel sideshow. Um, 
and Avery Brooks was was badass. You know, that's why he became a recurring character and would end up with his own uh, spinoff. You know, um, I, I love that. I still enjoy the show Spencer for Hire. I mean, I mean, very basic, you know, kind of whodunit stuff. But um, but I, I dig that. And sadly, like Avery Brooks, I think a lot of people know this. Like if you watch the there's two documentaries called The Captains. I think there's been two of them now, if I remember correctly. But I certainly remember the first one very well. Uh, that William Shatner produced and he interviewed Avery Brooks and it looks like Avery Brooks, like he's lost his mind. I mean, literally like he's, he's just out there. It's, it's very sad to watch. Um, Just, I don't know. It's weird. He's a guy. I don't know that I ever saw him at a convention thinking about it. Like, I I don't know that he ever really did the circuit so much. I must've seen him at one, but yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what his, what his score is. So um, anyway, okay. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Yeah. I have noticed the, the video does keep cutting out on this. Uh, this is why we need to get away from Google Hangouts folks. <laughs> cause, cause screw that. Uh, let's see. Does, does he have dementia? I hope not. I don't know. But like the whole time he's just like sitting at a piano and playing it and talking and he like, he's talking very lyrically and everything. And it, it's, it just, it, it came off. Very, very strange. Very strange. I thought uh, when when you watch that documentary. Uh, speaking of which, there's also there is that DS9 documentary that's being made, and I think Ira Stephen Burr, who's kind of the really the brains uh, behind D Space Nine, I think he is uh, he's actually like behind that now to to some degree. Um, I have not watched. There's the the Leonard Nimoy documentary that Leonard Nimoy's son made recently, the Spock documentary. Um, I do have it that recently came out. I haven't watched it yet, uh, but I will probably review that for for a Star Trek update. Um, personally, it's very tough for me. Um, it's really tough for me to watch stuff like about Leonard Nimoy. Like I, I can still watch you know classic Trek, but uh, but like anything anything that has to do like there there's there's a great documentary that was made while he was while Leonard Nimoy was still alive called Mind Meld that where it's just him and William Shatner talking I and just deal with it folks like I I can't watch it without crying like and and I listened to William Shatner's memoir Leonard um this is before I, before I think William Shatner kind of started losing his mind uh, not not like Avery Brooks but more in a metaphorical sense um and like I I just it's so tough to to experience that shit you know and and i like i i really appreciated when leonard nimoy made that tweet um about how if you know if anybody needs like a granddad in their life or something you know i'll be your i'll be your your, your symbolic you know your meta your your real but metaphorical at the same time uh grandfather and i i totally took that right to heart and took that on and i i've talked about that on on sovereign tech prime episodes when he died because man that hit me like a ton of bricks um, okay. Let's see what's in the, uh, in the, in the YouTube chat here. So, uh, but my point in saying all that was I will get to watching that, that Spock documentary, but that's, that's, that's going to be tough. Um, okay. So the question is, uh, oh, person, well, I'll, I'll first this comment. Oh, that sucks. Nimoy must've had a big impact on your life. Oh yeah. 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 You, you know, I think like characters like data. And in fact, there was an episode of the next generation where you kind of got that with data, where the little boy is trying to copy data and like, they're sort of playing along. I mean, th- there's parts of it that are kind of disturbing in a way, but where, you know, Dr. Crusher plays along and makes, makes this young boy think that he, she's actually converting him to be an Android like data because he so much wants to be like data and everything. And I think anybody, any kid that grows up feeling very alienated from the rest of the world 
you know, this is why people get attracted to X-Men when they're young. This is why people get attracted, I think, to characters like Spock, where they have, okay, there's this human side that I'm trying to figure out, but then there's this other side of me that nobody understands, which in the case of Spock would be a Vulcan, that I think is a very attractive, you know, part. Um, and just the brilliance, you know, that, that, that the character of Spock would deliver and Nimoy himself could deliver as well, uh, is, you know, that's, that's really inspirational and, and can get you through a lot of honestly, very ugly times. So yeah, yeah. A- anytime any of the originals, you know, DeForest Kelly was the first to die, then James Doohan, um, then, then Nimoy, you know, anytime the characters from the original series die, it, it, it hits me hard. Nimoy was, was particularly hard though. Um, but anyway, okay. So let's see uh, another question. How many episodes of Firefly did you try to give a chance before declaring that you hated the show? Oh, no, I, I watched the whole thing. I, I watched and I watched the movie. I watched Serenity. Um, I've even read the comic books because uh, there's been like three different series now. So many series now so far um, with the comic books. I mean, I, like I get it. It's not bad. It's actually not like terrible. You know, um, I, I get a little. Uh, hyperbolic when i talk about it the problem is like the part that annoyed me is especially when i was getting like early on when i would have identified as a libertarian and i was just getting into libertarianism um so many people told said that to me that this was like the libertarian show right um and you know this this was libertarian science fiction and i just don't agree with that at all and i've had other people who uh good friends in new hampshire where, uh, you know, this one gal, she, even, you know, she told me, she's like, yeah, she says that that's just stupid for, you know, for people, or I'm not saying you're stupid if you think that it's libertarian. Okay. But she, her words were like, that's just crazy to say that that's a libertarian, like somehow that's a libertarian dream of a show. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't get that. That's my actual real problem with it. The other problem I had with it, and I've talked about this before is that, and I, and in fact, I shared the articles when I talked about this, I think it was on a Patreon episode where, where I, on a Q and a, where I said, it was like, where, where people were saying Firefly is going to be the next Star Trek. And I said, no way. Like, there's just, there's apps. Like, I watched this. There's no way this is going to be the next Star Trek. That is not happening. And 10 years later, who's right? Me. You know, or however long it's been. I don't know if it's been 10 years. But, <laughs> like, there's just not, like, that That was such bullshit marketing uh, that that annoyed the hell out of me, which marketing is, is always one of my, you know, uh, main pet peeves with just about anything. Um. Yeah, boy, that just drove me nuts when when they would say that. So, no, I, like, I get it. Firefly isn't bad, but it's also not, like, at the level of greatness. It doesn't deserve the reputation it has. I guess that's my point, is it really doesn't deserve that at all. Um, you know, as to where there were shows, similar deal, where Fox would cancel them early. I mean, Fox has done this, you know, willy-nilly. You know, you think Dollhouse, right? I mean, that got two seasons at least, but I thought that was, you know, Liza Dushko, she's fantastic. That show is fantastic. There have been comic sequel comic books for that, that have been, uh, that have lived up to the hype. Um, I think, uh, or, you know, one of my favorite shows, uh, Kindred, the embraced, uh, that, and, and look folks, when I say favorite shows, I should probably say like, that's in my top 100 or something. I don't know, or my top 50. I don't know. Uh, but Kindred, the embraced was, uh, that was by Aaron spelling who you think Aaron spelling, you know, nine two one Oh Melrose place, especially in the nineties, you think he'd be untouchable, right? Um, he made Kindred, the embrace, which was based off of, you know, the white wolf properties, uh, you know, tabletop RPG properties. And that, that show was, I mean, just dynamite pure dynamite i thought that that was so cool uh you know great sexy vampire i mean it, it didn't hurt that stacy haddock was in it as well who of, of sequest uh, season one fame i mean she's just you know 
let's just call it. She's one of the hottest women to ever walk the earth. I mean, she was, boy, she was something else, you know, and she played Lana in, um, uh, in Superboy, the adventures of Superboy. Um, but, uh, yeah, Kindred, the embrace, like that's a show that deserves years later for people to be mad that that got canceled because it couldn't have been that expensive to produce because it was set in the modern day, you know? Yeah. I had vampires and all that other shit, but it was set in the modern day. There, there's really no good reason why that should have been canned. And there is a lot of real like anti-government, you know, kind of sentiment within that show, um, more so than I think just about anything else or, or anything else that gets attributed with that. Maybe um, just by the very nature of how the vampires live and everything. Uh, I don't, I'm still in awe that, I mean, nobody, like most people don't even remember that show. It was, it was phenomenal. And it's, it's short, you know, kind of like just with Firefly where there's only like 11 episodes or something. And I think a couple of them never even aired. Uh, it's, it's such a shame. Cause I mean, that show is hot, you know, and, and it was, it was big at a time when like Highlander, you know, was, was really rocking as well. And, you know, they, they're kind of, as far as styles, you know, they're kind of related shows and yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see what, what else we got. Um, someone in the YouTube chat says, uh, I think Firefly, like a lot of shows slash movies has some great libertarian moments, but yeah, they aren't made with it in mind. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I could see that. I mean, but then, you know, Star Trek, the next generation has great liberty, has great, like genuinely great, literal anti-state statements moments in it right um you know the drumhead you take that episode the drumhead where uh you know picard gives that whole speech against nora Satie, you know saying the first time that anybody loses a freedom uh you know we're all damaged by it i mean uh or the the episode with lull right where you know picard says right to the admiral says you think i'm going to hand over somebody's kid to the state now well i'm his captain i mean like you know there, there's and that's the thing nobody says that or not a lot of people anyway i know a couple people that actually say this but most people don't think of or people you know in the liberty movement or whatever don't hold up the next generation as a libertarian show if anything they a lot of them will hate it because they think it's socialist but it's way more libertarian than firefly could even dream of being because brandon braga who used to be a dear friend of mine uh he's a libertarian you know i mean capital l but he's a libertarian so like you you literally had a libertarian writing the fucking show you know that's 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 part of what drives me nuts about this is that oh fireflies the great libertarian things like are you fucking kidding me you know <laughs> uh anyway um so many trekkers hate wesley crusher uh hate the wesley crusher character in that series yeah and uh, and somebody pointed out that uh, vampire the masquerade was the name of the white wolf property that um uh, that kindred the embraced was, was based off of yes uh which also you know what a what a great rpg and great video games like bloodlines what a tremendous video game and all that uh anyway so let's see um yeah so many trekkers hate wesley crusher character in that series yeah that's unfortunate um because it, it, i so i'm not the biggest fan of wesley either even though arguably my favorite episode of the next generation is from the fifth season called the game which centers around Wesley Crusher and another character named Robin Leffler, uh, who would end up being a bigger character in the new frontier novel series that, that I think is tremendous, but she would be played by, uh, Ashley Judd. And so, I mean, I, I, I respect Wesley, but like, yeah, he's not my favorite character either, but I saw, I saw, um, convention footage. This is probably two, three years ago. And I think I talked about it on, on a sovereign tech prime episode, or maybe it was a special or something. Uh, but where Gene Roddenberry, like he was, he was getting like harassed 
and heckled and like almost, you know, just shy of tomatoes getting thrown at him on stage at a convention. And it was because like Trekkers really hated, like you said, they, they really hated Wesley Crusher. And I loved what he had to say. He said, I mean, he was getting mad at people, which you, I imagine Gene Roddenberry actually probably did that a lot. I think he was almost a Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs ish kind of person, um, even though, you know, a lot of books and you know biographies would would maybe say something different. Um, but he, he got mad and he said, he says, you don't understand. He says, I make this stuff for me, you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, I love hearing that because and that's the part that people don't I think a lot of people don't respect about creators. This is the same reason that. I don't mind the prequels with Star Wars because who the fuck am I to tell George Lucas what he should do? Now I'll tell Disney what they should fucking do because they didn't create this shit. That's a very different story. Like when people get mad about the last Jedi and look, I like the last Jedi overall. Okay. And I'm going to watch it so many times in my life. So obviously I'm not exactly complaining there, but I'll sure as fuck complain about what Disney wants to do. But as far as like the original creator, the guy that made this universe, just like Gene Roddenberry, the guy that made this universe, don't you fucking tell him what he should be doing. I mean, he's, he's, he's the creator have respect for that. Just like, you know, I get people that talk to me. Well, I think the sovereign universe should have more men or should do this. It's well, who who are you? this is for me. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm glad people want to be along for the ride and that's the beauty of it, you know, is that people get to join you and you get to find people who are like-minded because you know it because they appreciate your art. They appreciate your creation, right? And there's certainly things to be said for that Gene Roddenberry, you know, how much of a hand did he have in a lot of aspects of Star Trek and everything? Sure. You know, like people talk about how actually Herb Sallow created a lot of what made the original series great or Matt Jeffries, you know, and stuff like this. And, or, you know, that, that Brannon and others would end up really picking up the ball and running with, uh, with the next generation. I think the argument that Ronald D Moore made the next made star Trek great is bullshit because you can just look at Battlestar Galactica. And obviously that's not true because he did terrible with that, but you know, like, like I'm not saying you have to respect the creators, but at the same time, like I, I, I just I love that attitude that he put on when people were talking about Wesley Crusher. He made it very clear this was him. This was his child self, which inspired much of Star Trek, if you believe his biographies. This is his child self getting put onto onto the screen. And great, you know, have a good time. Fine, not everybody likes it. Okay, you know, there's plenty. It's an ensemble cast. You got plenty of other people that you get to you know appreciate and enjoy uh, as a you know as, as a character. So yeah, I'm not the biggest Wesley Crusher fan either, but I get it. You know, like I understand what the person was trying to do and I respect the creator for, because I mean, here, here's the thing with creators. Um, yeah. Somebody just said exactly. Creators aren't slave to their fans. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. They're not. Um, here's the thing with creators. Like when you are a creator, when you make a universe, when you, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, the sovereign universe, Stargate, I don't care whatever, whatever the fuck it is. Okay. When you create a universe, like parts of you are there. You know, like, I mean, like that's, it's impossible for it not to be, unless you're just, you know, you're just some kind of like creative hitman. you know what I mean? Where, where, you know, you, okay, you make us a fun lawyer show or something and they just do that. But if you like, you're, if you're really coming up with something very new from the ground up, like, like much of science fiction and fantasy is okay. This is somebody being very courageous in putting a lot of themselves out there. And I think that there's, you know, if, if you actually enjoy even like, you know, parts of, of what they're putting out there, then respect them for it. You know, you know, who gets, who gets a really short trip that, that, that annoys the fuck out of me, 
And I, I have a special attachment to this character um, because I've kind of grown up with this character. So in the 90s, you know, my very formative teenage years, um, I remember the first time that I got an advertisement for the science fiction book club. Okay. And uh, we're, we're getting up. We're already, this has been going really fast. We're already almost on the hour mark, but I, I'm going to, t- I'm going to tell this story. So uh, the science fiction book club, they said, okay, you can, you know, you get the little magazine in the mail again, the internet sure sort of existed at this point, but not, not, as we know it, like I've always said on sovereign tech, the internet, as you understand it, as the way people talk about the internet, didn't really exist until 2003. Okay. Um, so with science fiction book club, you know, you get the little magazine and they say, here, pick out six books. And they had a website at the time too, but whatever in the magazine, you know, pick out six books and you get them for, for a buck. And you know, the agreement is this is like kind of the Columbia house style stuff, right? If, if people remember that, the, the agreement is, is that once you do that, then once a month, you need to buy a book from us at full price. Me, teenage self, six science fiction books for a buck. You bet. <laughs> okay. I am on board with you. Uh, and, and I, I would end up, um, you know, I, I would end up, uh, uh, you know, getting these. And this is how I actually first read Lord of the Rings because for a buck, I got the entire fucking trilogy in this huge, beautiful hardcover. It was awesome. Um, and, and I got a bunch of other books too. Uh, you know, you could get uh, technical manuals through the science fiction book club and everything. I'm sure it still exists to this day. I, I can't imagine why that model would ever fail. And science fiction fans like to own things often enough. And they're, yeah, anyway, they're, you know, obviously we're still around. Um, but one of the, one of the book series that I got introduced through the science fiction book club was the Anita Blake series uh, by uh, Laurel K. Hamilton. And I was, you know, you start reading it. I mean, sure. At first it's really sexy because you have this sexy, you know, vampiric, well, part vampiric. Well, anyway, if you read the series, you know what I mean? Um, we'll just say this like vampire, you know, kind of like almost cop character or whatever. And, and it's this, you know, crime nowhere and everything, you know, felt very much like it's, it was almost like Blade Runner with, with vampires, just not so much futuristic. Okay. Um, and the Anita Blake series, would really, I mean, we're, we're, I don't know, some odd 20 books in and this series over the years, since the nineties, when it first started, what was the first, was the first book guilty pleasures, I think is the name of the first book has really changed. I mean, like, and now it is, it, it's more erotica than it is any kind of like hard, hard boiled crime fiction of any kind with vampires. Now, I mean, like there's full on orgies happening in this stuff. And a lot of this, you know, came out of, I think a growth that Laurel K Hamilton herself went through where now, you know, she's very polyamorous and she's very open about the fact that, you know, her and her, uh, uh, second husband, I think it is Jonathan. And, you know, they live with a couple, I think Guinevere and Spike are their names or something. And anyway, you know, she finally came out a few years ago with what's happening in her life because a lot of people wondered, Hey, what happened with the Anita Blake series? Like it used to just be like kind of almost this, you know, vampire detective stuff. And now it's turned into, you know, the, this BDSM and porn and, and whatever else, like, like, how did this happen? You know, I really miss my character. Uh, you know what, what, what the character of Anita Blake originally was. And she, I mean, she gets harassed. Yeah. I think she gets death threats. I mean, it, it's really crazy what's going on. And, you know, that's such a shame. So, so again, she's putting, you, you can very clearly tell, and based upon what she's said in interviews over the, especially recent years, you know, she's putting herself 
into this universe. Not that she's necessarily Anita Blake, but certainly things she's going through where maybe hell she's having orgies or something, you know, and, and she's, she has this experience and she's putting it into her universe and on the page. And she gets shit for that. When, what the fuck, you know, <laughs> like, like, like I, okay. So great. You people bought the books, right? You, you know, you've bought the Anita Blake series for so long and what it takes a turn that you don't like. And so now you think you can tell the creator what to do. Are you kidding? You're not, you're going to get shit if the creator's not putting their passion on the page. And obviously for Laura K. Hamilton, you know, having wild sex and all this other stuff and having, you know, these, these unconventional relationships is everything is what she was passionate about. And so let her put it on the page. That's how you get great art is it comes from passion. If it's just because what makes fans happy, we're going to have shitty art for the rest of our lives, folks. It's bad enough already. So yeah, yeah. When creators don't get respected for the fact that they're putting out there what they want. I mean, now if you find out that a creator is really just doing what they think will, you know, bring most bang for the buck, well then sure rip on them. Um, I think this is a situation with most of the Marvel films is they are just trying to appeal to the least common denominator and it is not great art in any way, in any way, you know, and I know art can be subjective in a lot of ways, but it's, it's not even subjectively. I just don't, I don't see it. You know, I mean, this is, there's something to be said for things being popcorn fun when it's self-aware that it's just, you know, a popcorn movie, right. Where, you know, we know it's meant to be that sort of thing, but Marvel's trying to walk some very weird lines that I think it just ends up making it play way too safe. And, and it, and it starts to lose its edge and, and excitement. Um, you know, and, and that's why they probably, why they feel they have to appeal to, to, to various cultures and subcultures and everything, uh, with a lot of their films. So anyway, um, okay, we're, we're, <laughs> We're at the hour mark, but let me see what else is here. Uh, speaking of book clubs, how about including a list of what you're reading in the newsletter or an occasional books I'm reading episode? You know, that's a great idea. <laughs> um, the other day I was, I was actually thinking about doing kind of a book club, like, like Ellen and I, we, we compare, you know, what books we're reading at the, at the time. In fact, just the other, <laughs> just the other night we're like, she, she was reading brief history of time and I was reading briefer, briefer history of time. Again, I, I, in audiobook form, I I've read back when briefer history of time came out, which those are two different. They're both mainly by Stephen Hawking, but um, th- those are, those are two very different books. Like briefer history of time is was a much later book that might've come out like in 06, I think originally. And so there's major updates from what he did, you know, what Stephen Hawking thought in the nineties. I mean, because, you know, especially the field of astrophysics changes dramatically at that point and briefer. I like briefer better because it gets, it doesn't concentrate. It's a little more skeptical of the TOE of the theory of everything. I, I really appreciate that. And, we're, and she and I were talking about that. And anyway, um, yeah, let's see. Uh, someone said I try to read multiple books at once. Yeah, I don't do. I do multiple books at once. I've talked about this before on Q and A's. Uh, but what I do is, is I actually I read. Um, I I will read one nonfiction book and one fiction book at a time. Um, but I won't read more than one fiction book or more than one nonfiction book at a time. But so I guess I'll read two books at a time. But that's that's the way that uh that that I consume them because I mean there's certain you know there's there's attitudes that come along with that, you know, like, like how you're feeling on whether or not you want something that's totally real, or if you want to go with something that's unreal and fiction folks understand fiction is, I I know a lot of people who read nonfiction, like there's no tomorrow and you know, that's great. I'm glad you're reading. Right. But fiction and, and people have done studies and research on this. I think fiction is so important, arguably more important 
than than nonfiction books because fiction can do a couple of things. One is is that they can inspire empathy because you're reading about what another person has gone through. Now maybe you could get that through a biography or something uh, as well, but fiction does it really well. And especially because you know there can be so many characters and there can be a point and so well thought out that you can get you know it can really develop parts of your humanity reading fiction far more than I think nonfiction can. So fiction is, is really important in, in that regard. And then also I think it inspires it, it you know, it gives you ideas. Um, you know, one, one only look at star Trek, the original series. And uh, like, in fact, there was that documentary that William Shatner hosted um, how star Trek created the world. I don't think it was changed the world. I think it was created the world. And they just talked about how everybody, they saw the shit on star Trek and they wanted to have it and they, and they had to go out and build it. And, you know, and, and the, everything that comes out of just trying to copy that, you know, or do something close that, or maybe that they thought was better, whatever. This is really, you know, th- th- that's where fiction is so important. And I think fiction can actually can get messages out better than nonfiction can by a long shot, especially philosophical messages, kind of like we were talking about with Babylon five. Um, I think that, in fact, I've had a lot of people uh, contact me about this, but like my Soviet tech episodes have done so much more for people philosophically, ideologically, than probably the entire the entirety of like my sovereign tech episodes where I ever bring up ethics. Um, there's so many, you know, I put it on the back of the sovereign tech t-shirt, be the future. There's so many people that said like they think about that all the time and and they just find those simple three words, which I'm not taking, I, look, I, I don't, I'm not patting myself in the backward. Look, I created that. Like, like that's, that's my phrase. Like I, I had a, in Soviet tech one was the first time that it gets said. And it's all about, I mean, and, and it's similar to, you know, kind of like be the change. It's kind of a similar idea, but I think, you know, there should be a little more to it. Um, but I, I've gotten, you know, con- like I said, contacted by so many people that just said that that like th- that constantly, you know, roils around in their mind and it just, it, it can get them through the day. Uh, it inspires them and stuff like that, you know, and that was total fiction, that, that, that whole, that whole concept. And I'm really, I'm really honored by that. Um, but anyway, let's see. Um, let me, let me, let's, I'll get through these last comments here and then we got to wrap it up because uh, we only go for about an hour. Uh, the fast and the furious films are a great example of popcorn fun. Yes. Yes, they are because they are self-aware of what they are, right? They're not trying to be something that they're not, they're not, they know that they're not going, you know, they're not Dostoevsky. They're not, um, you know, Citizen Kane or whatever, and they're not even trying to be. They know what they are, and that's so that's so key uh, to making art that doesn't live up to you know maybe what critics and others would say is is genuinely great art. So yeah, Fast and the Furious, great example. I love those movies. Stephanie loves those movies. Uh, I know Ellen likes them too. Uh, I mean, just just awesome. So let's see. Uh, somebody said I start seventeen things at once and never finish any of them. I guess you mean the books, and yeah, I I can understand that. You know, a really great thing to do. Like I mentioned, a briefer history of time um, or Neil deGrasse Tyson had a recent book come out, uh, which actually I want to review um, because particularly the last chapter was really interesting where he talks about the cosmic mindset. And this is a very new book. Like this book just came out, I think, in 2017. But, you know, those, those two books, uh, it's, it's Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, I think is the title of it. They're only four hours long, even if you listen to them at 1x speed. They're only four hours long. These are really short books. Um, I think with a lot of things, you know, some people talk about how if you do the little things first and then you can get to the bigger stuff. I think if you start putting books away behind you, you know, you listen to shorter books, like books that are about four hours long. And if you listen to it at 2X or 1.8X, you can be done in a couple hours, right? Uh, 
I think that starts to build up where, oh, I like this. You just, you even feel good about the fact that you've read those books, you know, and that you've gone and you've consumed them and you've gone through them. Um, and then you can start getting into where you read the bigger stuff and, and you start to get through it. So, so that's, that's something to consider. But anyway, that, that book with uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, the last chapter was really phenomenal where he was talking about the cosmic mindset. And he, he even talks about where like governments don't matter, all these different things don't matter. And it reminded me, which is something that I've said a long time ago. Uh, on sovereign tech where i said you know what i how i because i get people ask me it's like well you know like where do you come up with this shit and not not necessarily fiction but like anything any of my ideas and i said well i have this what i call the galactic mindset i didn't call it a cosmic mindset like neil degrasse tyson did but i i talked about it years ago and the galactic mindset is literally you think about things on a galactic scale how much does this really matter in the grand scheme and there are things that happen on earth that could absolutely matter in the grand scheme Okay, because again, humans are, as I say often, and I'm not the only person to say this, humans are meant to be a multi-planet species. So sure, what we do is going to have ramifications through the entire universe sooner or later. And, um, you know, having that galactic mindset and starting from that, you know, that's that's so key. And it gives you such a I think it gives you a beautiful perspective. And it it all I mean, it almost like plays into kind of like a sense of Shen Ku, where you you just know you're you know like no matter where you are you can say you're setting roots down and stuff but really you're always a perpetual traveler throughout the galaxy and and i think that alone gives you a very different mindset it's it's a really powerful thing to go with but i i, w- I was pleased that something similar was being said now by neil degrasse tyson i'd never heard him say anything like that before but that now at least he's putting it out there and he called it the cosmic mindset. I don't think I'm going to change my term from the galactic mindset, but I might, you know, mention them interchangeably, uh, which I thought was really powerful. So in that book overall, other than the fact that I think speaking about the big bang with such certainty is rough. Uh, it was actually a, a very well done book, um, astrophysics for people in a hurry. So, uh, okay, let's see. It kind of, some, uh, get these last comments. Um, it kind of annoys me when science writers tell their readers that there isn't much, math content to worry about in their books. Yeah. Everything's math, right? Um, let's see another person. I hate the attitude of quote. I only read nonfiction because I need to read useful things End quote. Yeah. I hate that attitude too, because that's bullshit. That's total bullshit. Um, I, I know, and, and granted Star Trek isn't primarily about reading, but just as an example, I know that I would not have the passion for tech, for learning, for science, for all the things, even sex, for all the things in my life. If it were, if it wasn't for fiction, if it wasn't for Star Trek, like that is central, you know, to, to who I, who I am as a person in reality and that interacts with others and that creates things in reality is absolutely central. That is, that is nonsense to say that fiction is useless or that, that you can't get anything out of it. That's just, I mean, that, that's just crazy. You know, we've been talking about that this whole episode, Black Panther, Babylon 5, all that. So, yeah, don't don't let people say that sort of shit to you. Uh, like you're saying, fiction is useful and important. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think fiction helps people get on board with new ideas and new ways of life more than nonfiction, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think it's true. I, I think it's absolutely true. Um, I've even heard, this was years ago at Keenvention, of all people, you, you I was already doing this because I had just come out with video games and I had made it, I had done interviews on free talk live where I made it very clear that this is to help spread anarchism, you know, by making these video games with a fictional story that, that has characters that believe in this sort of thing. But I was, it was at convention and there was a panel 
Uh, Stephanie was on the panel and I'll say the name. Chris Cantwell was on the panel. Chris Cantwell made actually made a good point. He doesn't, he rarely ever does that. Um, and a character that is well out of the spotlight, thankfully. Um, so I'm not really giving him credit, but the point he made, he says, he said, uh, you know, free, freedom lovers aren't into fiction enough and they're not creating enough fiction. And I totally agree with that statement, uh, that statement and that statement alone. I do not agree with Chris Cantwell on anything else, but I, you know, I'll just, I'll say that he said it. And, and I, and I was at the time, especially I was way on board with that. And I still am. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the bulk of, of what, I, you know, everything I do has my philosophy and ideologies and I can't help it. You know, I don't think any creator can help it. So uh, yeah, I think fiction is, is well over is much overlooked by just about any ideology. I think almost every ideology overlooks fiction. I think Satanism overlooks fiction. Uh, you know, go, go down the list of, of people that, I mean, you know, Christian is a fiction. Christianity is, a, gonna, all right, I won't say it. You know what I was going to say, but, but, but I think, I think most philosophies and ideologies uh, ignore fiction at their peril. Uh, let's see. Tyson is great when he is only talking about astrophysics. Yeah. Obviously politically he's nuts. Like, in fact, I, I did years ago, I did an episode like calling him out on, you know, just like he, he, completely and you can prove how contradictory he is when it comes to politics political statements based upon what politician is in office and everything it's really terrible but he is definitely like carl sagan and some others a very powerful speaker and a great teacher when it comes to you know a lot of science um i mean i don't agree with him about the big bang you know i'm far more amenable to the quasi steady state theory or to um well, he, he, I got to give him credit, like, cause in the series cosmos, he, at the time, this was a really, really new idea, but it fit. It checked a lot of boxes really well. The idea that we're like the Corona of like a fourth dimensional black hole. That's what our universe is. He actually admitted that that's a possibility in cosmos. So he's not so hard edged on it being the big bang. I got to get, I'll give them, I'll give him a little bit of credit for that, but he's a true, you know, he, he's. I mean, people don't, a lot of people don't know this today, but like the scientific community and a lot of science students and whatever, which I guess would be part of the scientific community, they hated Sagan back in the day. Like, I mean, that, that seems crazy that anybody could hate Carl Sagan now. Um, but back then, like they didn't like him and you know, yeah, I, I, th I think these kinds of people and, and some of their message is very useful, uh, but I agree, you know, who wants to listen to them politically? I mean, you know, they make asses of themselves. Uh, so let's see much of modern tech would not exist without shows like star Trek. Yep. Absolutely. Phil, uh, philosophically too, he is nuts. Uh, meaning Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. I think by and large though, like I said, that the chapter he did about the cosmic mindset is fairly on point. Like I, I, I think he's, it's, it's the higher road that I think more humans would do well to consider. Um, Let's see. Then someone says, that's why I strongly believe in Davi Barker's Survivor Max. Yeah, uh, I can't I won't say anything bad about Survivor Max. I'm actually a character in, in those stories. There is a there is an agent sovereign, um, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I, I haven't read them in, in a little while, but or, there, there was part of it. May, may, see, this is the thing. So sometimes I get to see like advanced chapters and I'm not sure if if this was in an advanced chapter or an error that actually got published. 
but there, there is an agent sovereign in survivor max, which, uh, I, I think is really cool. And Stephanie's in it too, I think. So, which is, which is nice. <laughs> There's like some kind of like radio show that's in the book. Um, so yeah, happy to plug survivor max. Um, Davi's work is great. So, uh, okay. Um, I think we're, we're a little, actually it's five fifteen. So, I have, and I know you may think that this is unimportant, but I don't think it's unimportant. I have a workout to get in, and <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'm going to go take care of that. And like I said, this usually only goes about an hour. Sometimes it runs a few minutes later. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of doing this with all of you. I liked all of you being in the YouTube chat. Um, I, I thought that that was really cool. I love talking about all the geeky stuff. And you saw where it, it led into philosophy. I mean, like, it, it can't help but do so, um, you know, which which I think that's one of Sovereign Tech's strengths is that we can always take it in that direction. Uh, you know, or we're willing to go in that direction if it needs to. But I, I really enjoyed this hangout and that it was all geeky shit. Again, I would have been happy to talk about any tech, any science, whatever the hell you wanted to talk about. You want to talk about anarchism, that's fine too. Uh, but uh, but really, really enjoyed this one. I loved the questions you guys sent in. And, and I mean, if you really, if that's a, you patrons, remember, you control the content that happens very much that happens on Patreon. Okay. Um, a lot of you, I know, love the Sovereign Tech First University books that I've been doing. Got a lot of great response from uh, the, the Egoist Encyclopedia that I released this week. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Um, so uh, let, let's see. <laughs> all right. Hold on. There's, there's a couple. All right. It says, already love this chat. Um, I like talking to you. I love talking with, with you guys and gals and Zs. You know that. Uh, this was a great time. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, this was great. Will you ever come back to Facebook? We miss you in the group. <laughs> so he said, LOL. I, I can't, I can't picture it. <laughs> now it's almost like a point of pride, you know, and, and I do, I actually, I kind of miss, you know, uh, connecting with people in the Sovereign Tech Facebook group as well. I know people still post in there. Um, sometimes Stephanie will still tell me about posts that get made in there. Um, so I still kind of quasi keep an eye on it in other ways. Um, like somebody said that they listened to, uh, episode 265 of Sovereign Tech and they just absolutely loved it, you know, about how you've forgotten how to read. Uh, I'm really honored by that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever, I'll ever get back to that. I don't, I don't know. I'll try and think of ways, you know, to, to allow for, you know, that kind of connection to happen. I interact with people as much as I can on Patreon when people make Patreon posts, but that doesn't work as well as like a threaded group. Um, I, I really understand that. And that's like a weakness that IRC has as well, uh, because I love IRC. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see folks, <laughs> but right now, you know, just to give you a little update on me, like I'm trying so hard to, you know, once again, over, over the six years of sovereign tech, there have been years or like a year or a period of some months where I'm trying to get to the show to, to another level. Again, I don't need to make money doing this. I, and I really don't. Um, I don't need to, you know, I don't need thousands and thousands of listeners and blah, blah, blah to do this. I do this because there's, you know, there's a part of me that, that, that just like has to, you know, that's why I think anybody does anything uh, a little bit of enlightened self-interest, you know? And, um, but right now I'm trying to, with like, with the new co-hosts, I'm trying to get things to another level. Um, and there's just, there's for, for me personally, there's a lot of, and, and it's not really bad things, uh, like it, it's, it, it's good things that are, that are happening for me personally, uh, relationship wise and, and, and in other areas that like I, I, I'm spending time on and I don't think you're hurting for content as, as far as that goes. Um, but social media would definitely be a major distraction, you know, like, like a Facebook group and things like this would be a major distraction from some of these things that, uh, will only make sovereign tech better and will only help spread what sovereign tech tries to spread. 
you know, be it the tech, the anarchism, the, you know, I don't, I don't use the word anarchism a whole ton, uh, you know, anymore because I don't think it needs to be said. I think, you know, we can make these points even without it. Even, I mean, I'll say I'm an anarchist, you know, just, just for the shorthand. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of really, really wonderful things, uh, going on, you know, in, in my, a lot of wonderful things going on in my life. And, um, you know, that's, that's it. Like I, I, so a lot of that I'm concentrating on a lot of that has to do with, with sovereign tech, you know? Um, so yeah. If, and, and I, and, and it's funny because like, and this is why I think I've been harping pretty hard on social media lately is because like that would, if, if I, if I spent time on it with it and, and, you know, like it, I wouldn't have been able to have these relationships that I'm fostering now. Uh, and, and I want everybody to be able to have this sort of thing. I really do. Uh, so, you know, so that's what I'm putting out there. And, uh, but you know, who knows, maybe one day, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, how this would all take shape. Um, but I'm, I'm open to creating a space where, where we can connect more and stuff like that. But I, I, I personally feel that needs to be a way more independent thing, but that's tough to get people on board with an independent thing. It's tough to get people over like to Reddit or it's tough to, you know, wherever um, it, it it's tough, but I'll leave these things open for you to, you know, certainly to, to use, but I understand that. Yes. You know, you want me there and I'm really honored by that. And I love you. I love all of you for it. Um, you know, I, I just, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, not that I need anybody's justification to live the way that I want to live. Um, I don't need anybody's permission to, to lead the unconventional lifestyle that I've built and that I'm and that I'm doing, but I just want you to know that it is so vindicating and it is so, uh, emboldening and, you know, it's so beautiful that so many of you, you know, even just like today, we're just, you know, we're talking, talking Star Trek and whatever else. I mean, and all that, like the fact that you're willing to do that with me, I mean, like you, you can't, you can't imagine, I don't mean to sound cheesy folks, but really you can't imagine how much it warms my heart that, that you want to do that, you know? Um, and so thank you, you know, thank you for being a patron. Thank you for, you know, for, for being a part of this. Thank you for being along the ride. I know some of you have been along for years it's not going anywhere. It's going to be going for a long, long time. That's the thing. We're just making it, we're, we're just trying to make it bigger and better. That's all. Um, you know, thank you because, uh, yeah, you've, you've made my life in a very, in, in so many ways that I can't even begin to describe. You have made my life so amazing and I want the absolute same for every single one of you. I, I, I want you to just, <laughs> you know, I want shit to be fucking awesome for you. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's that. Someone said, thank you for your service, sir. Yeah. Thank you. All of you for your service. Thank you to the patrons. Thank you to the listeners. Um, and, uh, whew, all right, that's it. We'll wrap this up. Uh, I will see all of you on the other side. Cool stuff coming up. Don't worry. You, well, you know it. So <laughs> somebody just said in it for the long haul. I am right on, uh, you know, this is, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be around. Don't worry. So, all right, that's it. Like I said, I will see you on the other side. Woo. Woo. <laughs>